It's the easiest way to see what's wrong in your business is to increase your revenue dramatically because all of a sudden you're going to see all these holes and these systems. Um, and I will say, I'd love to say like, I did this from the beginning, but I didn't. And so in the midst of being so busy, being new, being alone, I had to figure out how to build the infrastructure of my business. Businesses revolve around people. Want to reach new audiences? Go out and meet new people. Need to find some new clients? Talk to people who've worked with you before and ask for a referral. Have an idea for a new product. Gather up the people who need it and start asking questions. If you're a small business owner and you're not making people a top priority, you're leaving money on the table and making things much, much harder for yourself. This is What Works, a podcast about what's really working for small business owners today. And I'm Tara McMullen. This week, my guest is Dana Kay, founder of Kay Publicity and Branding Outside the Box. Dana has made people her business. Whether it's her careful attention to slow business growth, intentional networking practice, or effective use of partnerships, Dana puts a priority on relationships. I go behind the scenes with Dana to find out how relationship building, partnerships, and networking have helped her to achieve results for both herself and her clients. We chat about how she readies her business to tackle growth, why she's been focusing on clients who want more comprehensive projects, how she vets potential partnerships, and her system for networking while introverted. Now, let's find out what works for Dana Kay. Dana Kay, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So I want to dig into the nitty gritty of how you've really used your network and partnerships to strategically build your client base. But before we go there, I really want to take a look at the foundation of your strategy, which you call slow growth, sort of like slow cooking, I think you said to me. <laughs> um, so what does slow growth really mean to you and why deliberately choose to grow slowly? Well, I think that a lot of the times we don't really know what's going to work until we try it. And I think that I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are just jumping in and trying to scale really fast and they see one thing that's working and then they try to do it 10 times that. I see a lot of 10x your email list or double your revenue and those sorts of things. And I'm kind of cringing because I'm like, well, but more money, more problems. And are you equipped to deal with those problems? Um, and so what I've done ever since the beginning was very intentional of taking on a few clients, a few projects, doing a few tactics, seeing what's working, what's not before we either scale or expand. Because you really want to understand what it's the easiest way to see what's wrong in your business is to increase your revenue dramatically because all of a sudden you're going to see all these holes and these systems. Um, and I will say, I'd love to say like, I did this from the beginning, but I didn't. And in the beginning, um, when I launched my PR company in 2009, it was a very fast growth. It grew from, I went from zero to 30 clients in less than a year. Wow. And which is awesome. So many ways it was awesome. But all of a sudden, I'm no longer equipped to run this company through my dining from my dining room table. I need help. I need systems. My whiteboard in my office wasn't a system enough to keep track of all these projects. And so in the midst of being so busy, being new, being, you know, serving a bunch of clients, being alone, I had to figure out 
how to build the infrastructure of my business. And I suspect that a lot of entrepreneurs do the same thing. Like they start out an Etsy store thinking they're going to do this as a side hustle. And then all of a sudden it explodes and they're like, oh, I have no fulfillment system or how am I going to manufacture? Or do I need to buy more supplies? And so from then on, every all the growth we did was very intentional, meaning we only took on a certain amount of new business each year. If we did take on a really big client, um, which there's been a few of those over the years, we had like a three to six month lead time before the client started. So we could build the infrastructure, staff up if need be, test some different systems to see if they work before the client actually came on. Because there's nothing like, as from the client side, coming into something, realizing this person has like isn't isn't going to give you the attention that you need or isn't organized or isn't is a little you don't want to give the client the impression that you are overwhelmed so by growing slowly you're going to improve the client's experience you're going to hone your skills you're going to become an expert in a few things rather than a mediocre um, a mediocre person and lots of different things. And so I think by slowing down, focusing on the types of clients you really want to work with, on the, the projects and services you really want to offer, you're going to offer a higher level of customer service, just overall be better at your job, and I would predict be happier and less stressed, which I think we all want. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. I think that's such a great point that, you know, we're used to hearing this message of scale, 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 market, 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 sell, 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 grow, grow, grow. I mean, it's just, it's deafening sometimes. <laughs> and I think you think that, um, I think it's easy to think that you're doing something wrong if you're focusing on something other than marketing and sales. And it's not that those things aren't important, obviously, but like you said, if you don't have the capacity to take, you know, take on those clients, to take on those customers, to serve them, to deliver the product that you have, then you're going to have big problems. And those mm -hmm. big problems are going to come back to bite you in a big way <laughs> later on. <laughs> um, not that I speak from experience or anything <laughs> either. Right. So, um, all right. So let's, uh, just to get a, a little bit, a few more details on, on this slow growth piece, what are some of the things, what are maybe some of the ideas that you've come up with over the years that you've decided not to do, um, or that you've avoided because you really wanted to keep that careful eye for balancing, uh, managing your capacity alongside managing your growth? Yeah. So on the service provider end and the one-to-one and -one we have only taken on clients that are going to do a comprehensive campaign in the beginning uh, so we do book publicity. So we work with authors and publishers to get bring the books to market, getting reviews, interviews, um, scheduling events, helping the author with their social media, with their brand message, all of those things. And in the beginning, you would have some people saying things like, hey, I just, I'm going to Omaha, Nebraska, and I just need local media outreach. Or I, my, my media outreach is cool. I just need someone to help me with my social media, or I just need this, or I just need that. And again, when you're first starting out, I'm, I'm saying the first year I said yes to a lot of things. Um, and so I was like, sure, I can do that. Why not? But what happens is, is those little short-term projects are very, they're not as time consuming per se, but the amount of time of bookkeeping and client relations that you're spending per client, that ratio is way greater because you're spending less time doing the actual work. So onboarding a client, whether they're paying 10 grand or you know 500, is the same. You have to invoice, you have to get their information. I have to talk to their in-house team. I have to get 
them up on the website. I have to do an online eval. Like all those things are the same regardless. And so by saying no to a lot of those projects, I was able to open myself, keep myself open for those bigger clients where I can serve them completely and just do what needs to be done. And by filling my roster with those clients, I'm able to serve a smaller list of clients in a bigger way. And ultimately, they appreciate that a lot more. I think all of our clients really appreciate that we are reminding them that they have a radio interview that morning or that we're texting them the night of their event to see how it went or to wish them good luck. And that personal touch you just can't do when you're chasing down like 50 different people. And so on the service end, that's one of the things that I've been really mindful of, of only taking on clients, one who are the right fit. You know, I read all their books. I talk to them extensively on the phone. I want to make sure that anyone we take on, like I'm going to like working with because we mm-hmm. talk to these people a lot and I don't want, I don't want, um, you know, to see a client's number come up on my phone and want to dodge it. And so that's on the client side. We've just been really mindful of not taking those quick wins. I think that's the big takeaway is like some of this is easy money, right? Someone, if someone wants to tell me, can you just pitch the city? I could do that probably in like four or five hours, maybe, but Like that little, that's just a quick cash infusion. It's not going to help my brand. It's not going to lead to more clients, more customers. And ultimately it's like, there is a lot more trouble for it because you still have to invoice, you still have to bookkeep, you still have to coordinate with their in-house team. So we've been mindful of that. And then on the other side, I have a a group program um, called Book Launch Bootcamp. And that is a way that I was able to go to the one-to-many model um, as opposed to doing one-on-one. Um, I can, it's a group program, so I can serve many authors um, at once that's, you know, worth my time. And then it's also more economical for them. And when I launched that, you know, a lot of people would have thought like, oh, you're going to roll it out and promote it and throw everything at it to make it a big success. And I was like, I just want six people. Like, I just want six people because you're going to learn a lot in that first run of what works, what doesn't. And if you have, 50 people, then that's going to, that could be problematic. And so the six people that joined, there was about 20 applications. I picked six that I thought were cohesive. I learned a lot. And then I also learned that I really liked that number. And so this session also has, oh no, we have five a session. Um, I pick people based on their, you know, their genres. I want them to be at similar levels. So we always get, you know, a dozen to 20 applications, but I really wanted um, the group to be cohesive. And then when we're opening up in, for enrollment um, at the time of this recording, it will be open. The I'm, I'm looking to increase it, but I either want to increase it to 12 from like, I want to increase it from like to 12 to 15, but no more than that. And like nothing between six and 12, because the mastermind calls, you're going to have to add on another mastermind call if you have uh, more than six people or really more than eight people maybe. And so you don't want that middle ground because now you're adding a mastermind call and you, your, your revenue or your profit margins are going to shrink. um, And the mastermind call isn't gonna be as vibrant because in theory, like only two people could be on one of those calls, (laughs) you know? So um, it's those sorts of things where you have to think about these numbers and think about what comes with it. Like, am I going to have more customer service issues if I go really big or let everybody in for that matter. So on that front, I'm just very mindful of like how many people I'm bringing in, what the problems that arise as we grow 
and also what they really are valuing. So with six people, I can get a lot more one-on-one interaction with them. I can know their struggles, know what their challenges are, what they're taking away from the program, what they're maybe struggling with at the program or what they don't like about the program um, that I couldn't really do in a bigger group. So I feel like if you could potentially get that big group going in the, from the first launch, I mean, money-wise, that's fantastic. But if half those people felt like it wasn't worth their money, then they're never coming back. I would mm-hmm. much rather have the, I'd much rather have these six, well, not 12 people, let's say, be ambassadors for the program or even, um, you know, we're toying with the idea of launching a membership site. So even having them come back to do the membership site. And I'd much rather have my reputation and my brand be favorable than to like make a lot of cash in a six month period, but then not have that come again. Amen to that. So it sounds like, you know, a key part of slow growth is actually turning down business today so you could make more business later. (laughs) Oh, you said that so beautifully. (laughs) Well, thanks. All right. That's awesome. I really appreciate you kind of diving into the details on that and, and your thought process there, because this it is so counter sort of the prevailing message, the prevailing yelling that we hear in the marketplace right now. Um, but I really see the way you're thinking about things, the way you're doing things as what divides the people who stick around, the people who aren't just a flash in the pan, mm-hmm. the brands that aren't just a flash in the pan, and the ones that are here today gone tomorrow. Um, and it's, I think it's a relieving, refreshing message for everyone that's listening to. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate it. Let's dig into p- the partnerships mm-hmm. side of things now, because you've used partnerships with colleagues at both K publicity and branding outside the box to create mutually beneficial results, as in you get clients, they get clients, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can you tell us about the very first partnership that you did that got you thinking that this could be a really great way to grow your business? Absolutely. So with K publicity, most of the partnerships started with our clients. So the reason I was able to grow my PR company so quickly is because I was bringing something to the table that the publishers weren't. I was implementing out-of-the-box strategies to promote books where the publishers, and this was in 2009, like I was explaining to publishers what Twitter was. It's, it was, it's very strange <laughs> to think about like that I would say like, and people follow you and they would cringe like that's so creepy, but now it's such a common term. Um, and so I was on the forefront of, you know, talking, uh, pitching books to book bloggers or doing social media campaigns, things like that, that they weren't really doing. So that's why I was able to build my client base. And with that out of the box thinking, a lot of it was how can we get, how can we get the book into the hands of as many people as possible when, you know, book sections are dying and newspapers are going under and things like that. So our, my first client, um, Jamie Fravoletti, she has a ultra, she writes international thrillers starring an ultra marathon runner. And so my first thought was let's partner with a running company to sponsor her book trailer, like her video to promote the book and whatever else we can get. Um, and so I started big. We started with Nike because why not go big? Um, And they didn't return my calls. That's cool. (laughs) Um, And then we went to Saucony. And Saucony, we had a couple of phone calls and emails and nothing really came to fruition. And then we um, secured a partnership with Segoy. And if there's any runners, triathletes, everyone knows Segoy. It's like a really great um, specialty uh, athletic apparel company. And they provided 
they sponsored the trailer. They sent her a bunch of running gear to wear in the book trailer. And they went even further and included the book in their newsletter, on their website. They had her, they co-sponsored some events at specialty running stores. So she would be wearing her Segoy and talking about the book. And they even um, purchased, or maybe we gifted them, I think a couple dozen copies to give to their top accounts. Um, So running stores all over the country were reading uh, her debut novel. And so what that was great about that was it got in front of a new audience. Um, it was a mutually beneficial relationship. Like they got brand awareness for they got brand awareness for their products. We got more awareness for ours. And it was fun. Like it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and so we were doing a lot of that stuff for our clients. And so when I started branching out into working with entrepreneurs under branding outside the box, I knew I wanted to do a lot more of that for me, really. And the fact is, is that there is no shortage of people serving entrepreneurs, right? Like we all, (laughs) there are lots of people, but we're all serving them in different ways. And we all lament because they, all these different pieces are needed. So I work with brand messaging. I, I work with people to establish their brand message and their content strategy and to really establish a personal brand. Um, not a, I'm not a design agency. It's all about wording, messaging, your public persona. And then I have friends who are YouTube specialists or Instagram specialists. And they're saying like, you know, I can tell them all about hashtags, algorithms, and other best practices, but if they don't have their content on point, like if they don't know what they're talking about or know how to send their message, like how is that going to help? Um, And for me, it's like, I know how to deliver a message. I know how to write copy. I know how to speak, but I'm not as well-versed in all the intricacies of Instagram or YouTube or any of those things. So what we decided was a lot of these entrepreneurs who these entrepreneurs who are serving entrepreneurs to get ever to get meta on you. Um, they we all partnered in various ways so that we can better educate our audiences, and I think that that's really the core of it. And of course, like leading to clients and leading to purchases is all good, but the more people can be aware of what they really need to do and comb through all the nonsense, the better it is for, like for all like high tides raise all boats so now that my clients uh, one of uh, Trina Little who's a YouTube strategist did a, a webinar for our audience and now that they know what YouTube is about and how to leverage it and how it different differentiates between other social media platforms they are able to decide okay YouTube is for me I'm going to invest and this is how I do it or they can decide you know what I don't want to do YouTube it's not for me I don't need it and they could be better educated rather than being like ah, someone on the internet told me I need to get on YouTube or someone said, oh, I'm missing on the boat because I'm not on Instagram. Instead, I people trust me, my mailing list trusts me. And so I am bringing in trusted experts so they know, okay, don't Google things on the internet, just go to your trusted person and find out. Um, I, I told someone, it's like, we're a, I'm a parent and when you're my wife was pregnant or like when we were kids, like you don't Google forums of like what to do with your kid. Like you just ask your pediatrician, like don't Google, like, is this dangerous for my kid or is my kid normal? Like you don't listen to random people on the internet. You listen to your pediatrician or your trusted friends. So that's really what these partnerships have done for me is being able to get in front of other people's audiences, as well as bring people to my audience that they can trust. Awesome. We'll hear more from Dana in just a bit, but now it's time to hear from our What Works partners. 
Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. Gearing up to launch a website or blog in 2019? Here's a better idea. Build an online brand that brings people together. Until recently, online business owners like us had to use an array of different platforms, all with separate audiences to build our brands. One platform for courses, another for events, another for your content, and yet another for your community. Not only do none of these platforms work together, but forget about mobile, where we all know people are spending the majority of their time today. At Co-Commercial, we face the same challenge until we found Mighty Networks. With a Mighty Network, online business owners just like you can bring all their business assets together in one place. Your website, your content, your courses, your community, your events, online and off, and you can charge for them, all while building your brand. The best part? When you're ready, you can upgrade to roll all of these features into your own native mobile app under your brand. It's like having your own Silicon Valley startup behind you with none of the headaches. Also, it's totally free to get started. At Co-Commercial, we use Mighty Networks to bring together our interactive learning experiences, community roundtables, events, conversations, and behind-the-scenes content all in one place. Visit MightyNetworks.com to see more examples of brands bringing people together via events, classes, memberships, content, and more. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. Thinking about some big changes in 2019? Maybe you're ready to put yourself on payroll, streamline the way you pay contractors, or hire your first or next employee. Now's the time to set yourself up for success, and Gusto makes it easy. Whether it's filing and paying taxes, managing time off, offering benefits, or cutting through the red tape, Gusto has your back. 2019 is just around the corner. Don't wait to make your first move. What Works listeners get three months free at Gusto when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash what works. That's gusto.com slash what works. All right, let's uh, unpack the details around this mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and even if you want to use um, the example of uh, Trina Little, is, mm-hmm. that's her name, it, that would be awesome. If you want to talk about a different one, that would be great too. Yeah. Are these kinds of partnership arrangements that you do, are they formal? Are they more organic? Do you have terms written down? Is it something that you kind of just agree to over Skype or mm-hmm. Zoom? How does that work for you? Uh, so everything is different. I'm a very informal person, which is, you know, for better or for worse. I think that so Trina I'll use a recent example um I we did a webinar series called social school where it was five weeks and it was all about creating a vibrant social media presence and we had Trina who did Trina Little did YouTube uh Kelsey Chapman did Instagram Kara Chase did Pinterest and Andrew Hubbard did Facebook ads specifically and I did content strategy which was the first. So I knew this was a problem that I saw was like, I didn't know, I know enough about Facebook to, I know enough about Facebook ads to run them, but I'm not an expert. I know about enough about Instagram to have a okay platform, but not enough to like advise people on it. So I brought these people together and I just sent them an email. I just said, this is my idea. What do you think? And then we just all talked like, do you want to do no pitch and charge people? Or do you want to do free, but let's pitch something. Um, and so we all kind of agreed what we were, we were going to do free, a free, the free webinar series, no pit or excuse me, with a pitch. And then at the end, 
we would, I would send an email having everyone confirm who they wanted to hear from. Um, this was just after GDPR. So mm-hmm. we were very mindful of that. And so everyone checked, like, I just said, if you don't hear, if I don't hear from you, you're going to hear from everybody. But if you want to give me preferences, uh, here they are. And so we all grew our email lists. A bunch of us sold some stuff. Um, and while it was, well, that's great. I think ultimately I must have gone at least 50 emails from people over the course of those five weeks saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for providing this content. Like, thank you for doing this. And that's really important. So I think a lot of us focus on, okay, you do this webinar, you pitch and only 5% of the webinar attendees convert. And then you're bummed because it feels like a failure and you did all this work. But the fact is, is that whoever was in that webinar now knows you, you have made a, you've created a relationship with them, you've built some trust with them, and they may not do business with you that moment, but they may down the line. And if they don't do business with you, they may talk to someone else who could do business with you. And I think a lot of it is just maintaining that favorable brand reputation consistently. So the webinar, like I said, the, it was very simple. I just sent an email to people that I knew I had met, um, Kara, Kelsey, and Trina through a mastermind group, and Andrew Hubbard, I was in his Amplified Ads training, which is the most fantastic Facebook ads training, Um, and I just really liked him, and so I reached out to him. We had to have a dude to break up all the women, Um, (laughs) and so I just reached out to people I know, and this was a really important point because about six months ago, I had gotten this idea to do more joint webinars and cross-pollinate audiences. And I put out just a random call in one of the Facebook groups I was in. And I got a lot of like not so great inquiries. I got some, you know, a couple of people who just didn't, who were like, I would love to do a joint webinar. And then their mailing list was like 200 people, which is fine, but not for me because our mailing list is bigger than that. Like we want someone Mm -hmm. who's comparable or they were serving the audience in the same way that we were. So we would actually compete. Um, I had gotten contacted by uh, an editor and a publisher who was doing an e-course all about self-publishing and promoting your book. And she wanted me to be an affiliate for her. I mean, I would, you know, I promote her course to my audience but I'm looking at the course. I'm like, you know, this is really similar to a course I offer. And so that's not the right, like that's not the right fit. So I think it's really important to be strategic because if you just put out a call like on your social media, like I'm looking to partner with people, you're going to get a lot of different like types of people. And you don't want to have to be like, oh, you're not good enough or you're not what I'm looking for. Instead, just keep your eyes open and your ears open for Who's serving a similar audience to yours, but in a very different way, and then reaching out and figuring out how you can help each other. And if they're bringing a lot of expertise, but they don't have a mailing list, well, then maybe you just use their expertise to serve your audience and maybe you act as an affiliate for their program. Or if they have a a pretty decent audience, then maybe you do two webinars where you do one for their audience and they do one for yours and you swap that. Um, If they have a much bigger audience than maybe you offer them an affiliate commission on it, but if you are allowed to pitch their audience. So I think it's just figuring out what's going to be mutually beneficial for both parties and being really strategic in your outreach. Don't just, you know, send up the bat signal and hope that um, people fly in. That makes a ton of sense. So uh, first off, I love the point that 
uh, doing a little bit more legwork up front, making sure that, you know, reaching out about these kinds of partnerships is really targeted, that it makes sense for both of you, that that pays off in the end, as opposed to maybe what is an easier route, which is just kind of putting out an open call. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think that ties really beautifully back into the idea of slow growth too. But it also makes me think that then you've got to be um, you've got to be investing pretty heavily time-wise, maybe money-wise, um, definitely energy-wise into consistently keeping your network growing, mm-hmm. making sure that you're nurturing relationships with people. What's your process for that? How much time during the week or during the month are you spending nurturing or developing new relationships so that you can keep this network growing? It's so funny that you said that because uh, my wife and I just were talking about that, how I had helped her I train everything she knows about networking. She learned from me and now she has surpassed me in so many ways. (laughs) That's awesome. And she, she takes a lunch with somebody every single day. Oh my God. Every single day, whether it's one of her team, she works in corporate. Um, so it it could be one of her team members. It could be someone else who works in a different department. It could be, um, a old work contact, whatever it is, but she has a lunch meeting every single day. I try to have one once a week. Um, and that usually works. So, so there's a couple of things that I do. I because I'm in Chicago, so we're in a big metropolitan city. It's fairly easy for me to connect with people. Um, but I know that a lot of a lot of our audience, at least, they live in rural areas or places that aren't as easy to connect with people in real life. And so a lot of the people that I know, because I work in publishing, a lot of them are in New York. We've taken to having lunch dates over Zoom um, or coffee dates over Zoom. And that's been really great. Like, I, I can't describe the, the, what it is to be like a face-to-face, to have that face-to-face interaction. Um, and so it just makes a difference. It's not like the phone and it's not like, um, you know, a formal meeting. It's really just catching up and finding out what are they working on? What are they excited about? Telling them what you're working on, what you're excited about, and just keeping the ideas flowing on how, it, how if anything, like it doesn't have to lead to anything, you could potentially work together. So if you are able to make it, I try to make it a goal to connect with somebody, usually in person, but sometimes on Zoom once a week. And I also have a, a couple systems. I have a, um, in Asana, I have a recurring task. I have a couple recurring tasks in our task manager that are networking related. Um, actually, no one knows about this, but every week I have a task um, that says write a thank you note. And every, it's like, I've been doing this since this is my new year's resolution. I can't believe it's like almost the end of the year and I'm still doing it. Um, But I wanted to make a weekly expression of gratitude. So I, every week have this task that comes up. I write a thank you note to someone in my network who has helped me either through referring business or introducing me to somebody or elevating my platform or someone who did me a favor. And I write them a thank you note. I write someone a thank you note every week. And this is a really easy way to make connections and stay current because even though you may not get a response like you're getting in front of them without being salesy or needy you're just saying thanks and we could all use more gratitude in our lives and so that's one way and then I also have if I touch base with somebody let's say I have a meeting um, and there's and then we say something like oh let's get together next quarter to talk about x that immediately goes in asana that next quarter I put in a task to follow up with them and schedule something. Because I find that if you do it right away, it gets lost. Um, but if you don't do it, then you may not do it. Um, so I usually use Asana as my tracker to make sure I'm staying on top of these contacts. That's phenomenal. Um, 
you kind of already answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyhow to see if there's any other uh, tips that you have or or things that you're thinking about um, on these kind of Zoom coffee dates or lunch dates. Um, I know that this is a really important thing that I should be doing more of. I used to do more of them. I am a very introverted person Mm. and I find that they, they are... Um, unless I know the person already, those kinds of calls to me feel very awkward, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where you're, where you are just kind of feeling each other out. Do you have a kind of framework or a kind of outline that you're thinking through in your head, or does that just feel really natural to you and you don't think about it? And I just need to get over it. No, I am a fellow introvert. Um, it is completely draining to talk to somebody who, especially, you don't that you don't know and to try to be charming and witty and get all your points across. Um, I, I do a lot of like, I speak at a lot of conferences and mm-hmm. I have to like, after like four hours in the, like the public, you know, the bar or whatever, I, I have to go and go in my hotel room and, you know, watch an hour of office reruns or something. Right. Um, and so, so I feel your pain. And the, the technique I use is I lead with honest, cur- authentic curiosity and I find that people love to talk about themselves and that if you keep asking them questions and letting the other person talk, not only will they think of the conversation more favorably, but it also takes a lot of the pressure off of you to be charming and witty. And I use, um, and actually I can send you the link. I have a networking for introverts video that I can send and hopefully you're a fellow intro our fellow introverts can get a kick out of it. Yeah. But they it's really all about how if you are asking questions and you're learning, you're going to be able to network in a more meaningful way. So when you learn about the person, you learn their needs and you learn their struggles and you are just listening, you get a lot of information and anytime I'm listening, I'm always thinking about, oh, that's interesting. I bet I could help them in this way. I'm always thinking about how I can help them. And so when you're doing these meetings, you're not looking for like, is this person going to help me or when can I pitch my product or whatever it is. You're genuinely asking them questions and learning So and you're figuring out ways that you can help them. And then in that follow-up email, when you, when you write an email saying thanks for lunch or thanks for the Zoom or whatever, um, you say, you follow up with some action item saying like, you know, I was just thinking about this person that I think you guys would connect. Can I introduce you via email? Or can I, you know, we were talking about this article and here's the link to it. Something that shows that you were listening, that shows that you are mindful, that you're not just like, let's stay in touch. Like there's some sort of meaningful follow-up. I hate when I, people are meeting me at um, conferences or I'm meeting people at conferences and they give me their business card and I'm like, all right, what do you want me to do with it? Like, why do I have it? Is it just so I have your email? Um, And I, what I do when I swap my business cards and I say, let me give you my card. I'd love to introduce you to this person or, Hey, here's my card. Shoot me an email and I'll send you that resource we were talking about and doing some sort of meaningful follow-up rather than the standard, like, let's keep in touch. Cause my response is, well, why, why do we need to keep in touch? So as introverts, I actually think we're better sometimes at networking because we mm-hmm. tend towards listening and we tend towards being quiet and we get to learn a lot more than we do when we speak a lot. Oh, that was so helpful. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and please, yeah, and please send us that video because we can put that in our show notes as well. Um, I think I've got one more question mm-hmm. before we start to wrap up here. And that's just, you know, kind of getting back to the, the partnerships piece. It, do you have... 
a goal or a schedule that you try and follow in terms of building these kinds of partnerships into your business um, so that you've got a steady flow of new clients or new email subscribers coming in? Or is it something that when it comes up, great, or when an idea strikes you, great, but it's not something you've got your eye on? How does that work? Well, we're all type A entrepreneurs. You know, we have goals. So like it's, <laughs> they, so I have, so I think that the partnerships are a mech, they're a tactic. Like they are not a goal. They are a tactic that I use to reach my goal. Ah. And so for example, you know, we have for the, for publicity, I have identified that our number one referral stream is literary agents. It makes total sense because literary agents, these are the um, people that sell the manuscript to the publisher and they receive a cut of royalties. So the more books that sell, the more money they make. And therefore, a literary agent has a vested interest in making sure their clients work with a quality publicist. Because in theory, the more media coverage we get, the more books that will sell. And so I make it a point to network with literary agents. That is more of an ongoing, regular basis, just because I know that they are the ones who are going to refer me the most clients. So like if I we get trade publications, so if I see this person at this agency made this sale and sold this book, I'll email them just a quick congratulations on the sale. Sounds like a great book. And that's it. No pitching, no nothing. Just again, gratitude, congratulations, those sorts of touch points. Um, so that's an ongoing basis. For the other things, we have goals when it comes to, you know, if I'm launching a new product, I know that let's say I'm launching it via a webinar. I know I need 500 people in the webinar to hit my goal for signups. And so I know that I don't have enough people on my mailing list and I don't want to spend as much on Facebook ads to get 500 people in the webinar. I need to partner with somebody. So who can I partner with? And then I think, okay, this product is going to appeal to this audience, this audience. So maybe I'll reach out to this person in my network or I'll ask for a referral. Like maybe there's no one in your network that works, but like maybe your network know somebody. And so you can ask, like, I'm trying to reach people who serve this audience and would be interested in this service. Do you know anybody? And you can reach partnerships that way. So I would say I tend to map out my sign-up goals, my revenue goals, whatever those numbers are. And then I backtrack and I figure out a way to get there. That being said, I also have a lot of things coming at me. This is actually a tricky thing for me. I have intense FOMO. And so mm-hmm. when I get like, so um, I was in a mastermind called uh, Freshly Implemented with Amber McHugh, who rocks. And she does a planathon every year, and there's an affiliate program and all those things. And I was an affiliate for her last year. And then this year, it just doesn't work with my promotion schedule. And I knew that, like, intellectually, I understand that. I can't do that this year because I have other things. But in my Instagram feed, I'm seeing all like my friends promoting the planathon, and I'm just like, oh, maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should still get on that. That's not like no. We already had a plan. Just stick with your plan. That's ridiculous. Um, and it's the same goes for other people. I'll get emails saying that, oh, hey, I have my new program. Would you want to be an affiliate? This is how. Or like, can I get? Can I do a webinar for your audience? And the truth is, is like you can't say yes to everything. It goes back to that slow growth. Like you can't take on every project, any pro- every product, you have to stay the course. And so for me, that's the, a really big challenge is feeling like I'm missing out if I don't do something, knowing that, you know, she's going to do the planathon next year and maybe I'll plan for it a little better and 
maybe I'll promote it next year or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll have a product or service of my own that I'm doing. So I think that a lot of it is strategic outwardly, meaning if you know you need to get to this goal and you need some help to get there, then you have to reach out. But you're also, the more you do these things, the more partnerships you have, the more you're involved in the online entrepreneur marketing community, the more inbound things you're going to get. And so you're also going to have to evaluate whether that makes sense. And sometimes it does. I had one of our um, our quiz providers had like a sale or something for a week. And I'm like, oh, I don't really have anything going on. Let's get them on the podcast and let's, you know, do an e-blast and let's see what we can shake out for this. Um, but a lot of times it doesn't, your schedule may not work. So it's okay to say no. I love that. Awesome. Well, Dana, what's coming up next for you? What kind of projects are you working on? What are you excited about right now? So an open en- enrollment is open for book launch bootcamp right now. It closes November 30th. So if you want to, if you're an author and you have a book coming out this year, we're looking for people with books coming out in 2019. Um, so that's kpublicity.com slash book launch bootcamp. And on the branding outside the box side, I'm really working on honing down the products that we currently have. I'm actually not launching anything new. I'm going through, we have three e-courses that I am going through now to like update videos, see if they're still aligned with my messaging and my mission and um, planning some promotions for their, for them in 2019. Uh, but we're, my goal is to trim down this year and not launch anything new. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I know you mentioned that you've got a quiz that you're working on. Yeah. So this was a big thing with me. Like I, I like to say yes to people. I hate turning people down. And so I've been, I created a series of questions and things to determine whether or not this person will make a good partner for this project. And so I put it together in a quiz and I'm going to share it with you guys so you can evaluate when partnerships come your way or when you find someone who could potentially partner with you on something. You can take the quiz and really evaluate whether or not it's worth it. Fantastic. And where can we find that? Um, I'm going to send you the link. Okay. Otherwise we can, <laughs> otherwise we can do it at uh, brandingoutsidethebox.com slash partnerships. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Dana Kay, thank you so much for this great conversation and for giving us a feel for what works for your business. Well, truly, thank you for partnering with me today and letting me talk with your audience. It's a pleasure. Take Dana's quiz to find out if your potential partnership is worth pursuing at brandingoutsidethebox.com slash partnerships. And learn more about Dana's publicity services at kpublicity.com. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs, and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work. <laughs>